Well, as you might guess, Katie and Christine and I have spent a lot of time these last 18 months thinking about what the church will look like when this pandemic is behind us, if it ever will be behind us. So we're preaching this sermon series called The Rebirth of the Church, but the re is in parentheses because St. Luke has given us a blueprint for what the birth of the church looked like in his book of the Acts. More about that in a moment. So we're looking at that blueprint given to us by Luke to think about what maybe the rebirth of the church will look like going forward. So the first chapter of the book of Acts. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day that he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so when they'd come together, Jesus said to them, You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And these two men said, Men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the 18 months of this pandemic have been unsettling for all of us in every arena of life but not least for parish pastors. One new preacher said, when I got ordained recently, I didn't realize I was signing up to become a chaplain for the apocalypse. I don't think she was exaggerating too much, and the apocalypse might be going on for a few more months or years yet. One church consultant said, your church is not returning to a new normal, it's returning to a new reality. For instance, right now across America, worship attendance in person is about 36% of what it was two years ago. Last Sunday, on Labor Day Sunday, we had 50 people out in the garden and 40 people here in the sanctuary. So our attendance was about 36% of what it was Labor Day Sunday 2019. But YouTube then tells me that 126 others worshipped with us virtually. And if you count virtual worshipers, and I guess you should, then our worship attendance on Labor Day Sunday last week was about the same as it was two years ago. So maybe we're the exception to this rule. And look at you here. There's a hundred people. The nave is almost full. There were 90 people in the garden. So you're kind of proving me a liar this morning. But across America, American Christendom is under pressure. And it might be that way for a while. We're still Kenilworth Union Church, but we look a little bit different now, don't we? We're still connected, but we're less gathered. There's something of a diaspora in our church, and it might be this way for a while. 71% of baby boomers, that's people my age, a little older, a little younger, 71% of baby boomers want to turn to in-person worship as soon as possible. But when you get to the younger generations, when you get to Gen X, the millennials, uh, Gen Z, only 42% of them want to, to return to in-person worship, ever. 
That's a 30% gap. The Barna Research Group guesses that about one in five American congregations will not survive the stress of this pandemic. That's because of declining participation and declining financial support. But for mainline churches, the Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, traditional churches like ours, the number is about one in three will not survive. I think we're going to be part of that two and three, don't you? But let's think about what all of this means for the church. It's back to fundamentals. You've probably heard this story about the Packers, right? In December of 1960, the Green Bay Packers squandered a late fourth quarter lead to lose the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. And so in spring training of 1961, first day, legendary Packers coach Vince Lombardi stands out before his football players. He's holding a pigskin and he says, guys, it's back to fundamentals. Gentlemen, this is a football. I still remember the high school football game when our star running back fumbled the ball twice. And so at the first practice after that game, the coach called Carl up in front of the rest of us and duct taped a football to his arm. He got his football across. Back to fundamentals. Ladies and gentlemen, back to fundamentals. This is the church. The Acts of the Apostles. Now the first thing to remember about the Acts of the Apostles is that it is the second part of a two-volume work written by someone we call St. Luke, who also wrote the third gospel, the Gospel of Luke. But unhappily, when the books of the New Testament were assembled and put in order, somebody slipped the Gospel of John between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, somewhat obscuring the bicameral nature of this two-volume work. And so our books of the New Testament are arranged as the top shelf in this bookcase, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. But maybe we should arrange them like the second shelf in this bookcase. We should put uh, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Acts to remind ourselves this is a two-volume work. So we got to remember when uh, the book of Act, when the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, fades to black at the end, at the conclusion of his story, the words on the screen are to be continued. And when the lights come up on the book of Acts at the beginning, this is like a serial television show. It will say something like previously on Ted Lasso or last week on The Walking Dead. So we have to remember that this is a two-volume work. So Luke-Acts, that two-volume work, begins in tiny Nazareth with a pregnant teenager and ends in Rome with the Apostle Paul seeking an audience with Emperor Nero himself, a thousand points of light flickering on here and there across the entire map of the Roman Empire, supplanting the Roman pantheon with the one true God and enthroning Jesus Christ where once Emperor Nero sat enthroned and reigned supreme. And the hinge between the two volumes, of course, is this story about the departure of Jesus from his friends on a hilltop in Jerusalem for parts unknown. Ironically, the church is born when its hero leaves. Ironically, the church takes off when its leader takes off. There he is chatting amiably with his friends on the Mount of Olives when suddenly he blasts off into the wild blue yonder like Jeff Bezos himself. 
Now, don't let the antiquity of this ancient story throw you off. This is very difficult for 21st century people to wrap their heads around. It's a story, right? We who live after Copernicus and Newton and Einstein know that in our universe there is no up, there is no down, there is only away from the curved surface of the only habitable world we know. So don't let the image obscure the point of the story. Someone asked, where did Jesus go? How far and how fast? What did this look like? I am told that if Jesus ascended at the speed of light, he would now be reaching just the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. This observation has not been fact-checked. So don't let the ancientness of this image obscure the point of the story, which is that Jesus ascends, not literally, but ascends to become Lord of all the world. This is truly an ascension, if not in space, then truly in power. And then the book of Acts takes off. It is a sprawling magnificence, telling the story of the church's explosion from a tiny singularity into a cosmic, globe-spanning faith with jaw-dropping miracles, spine-tingling sermons, improbable conversions, fearless empire defiers, and invincible advance. And this happens with the likes of you and me. There are these 12 fishermen standing on the Mount of Olives, chatting with Jesus, and suddenly he jets off, and they're obviously staring slack-jawed into the sky, and then two messengers from the great blue beyond say to them, Men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Get busy. You're to carry on the ministry of Jesus in his absence. It's your task to restore sight to the blind, to make the lame walk, to lift the impoverished out of their filthy tenements, to welcome the new immigrant to a new home, and to teach her the language. Why stand ye gazing into heaven? Get busy. Your job is to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. What an 18 months it's been, right? But what have we to fear from all the cataclysms that keep battering the church over the centuries? This virus is no match for the Christian church. Our church is still here. The church is still here. It's just left the building. And maybe this is a good thing, right? Maybe our diaspora is a good thing because we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. What an 18 months it's been. Also, what a 20 years, right? Since September 11, 2001. And for the last 20 years, we've been dealing with the aftermath of what began that day. Five of the 13 United States soldiers who were killed in Kabul in August were 20 years of age. They were born in the year 2001. Like 9-11, they were 20 years old. And so United States Marine Corps Lance Corporal Riley McCollum of Jackson, Wyoming, was born in February of 2001, which means that he was six months old when the Twin Towers fell. His brief existence was bookended by this lingering conflict. He married the love of his life on Valentine's Day of this year. His wife is expecting their child any day now. 
He died liberating innocent civilians from a primitive but still seething malice. His father says, tough as nails, heart of gold. Thank you, Corporal McCollum. Rest in peace. It took them four hours yesterday to read the names of all those who perished on 9-11. There were six Garcias, ten Joneses, and fifteen Smiths. So many precious souls lost. But one woman who spoke yesterday says, I remember September 12 just as clearly as I remember September 11. So much anguish, so many tears, such bitter heartache. But on September 12, it was then that America, all of America started reaching out to us reaching out to embrace us and to pull us in. So much kindness, so many prayers, such rich blessings. And it was all that kindness and all those prayers and all those blessings that returned us to the land of the living. That started 20 years ago today on September 12, and it has not stopped, and we will never forget. The poet Adrian Rich says, My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed, so I have to cast my lot with those who, age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. We will be his witnesses to the ends of all the earth until he comes again to take us all home. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.